Let's take our Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I mentioned that my, my family is out of town. Um, my wife, and if you did not know this, my wife has uh, three sisters. One is 20 years younger than her. Uh, the others are a little bit closer in age. And uh, her two sisters, Gabriel and Hillary, are both pregnant as well as, as her. Um, they're not due until September or October, but um, they all wanted to get together before Andrea has the baby, which kind of had to be now. Um, her due date is June 30th and travel time and, and whatnot. This is, it had to happen. So they are in Indiana, hopefully getting together as sisters and um, enjoying some time together, which means that I'm, I'm by myself. Um, I knew that this was coming, and there's, there's part of me that says this will be good. I'll be able to get some things done. You know, the, there won't be kids messing around the house, and I can do some of the stuff that I need to do. I had some stuff uh, for sermon preparation to do and whatnot. And then about a half hour after they left, I said, man, I just wish that they would come home. <laughs> because there's something where I look forward to that, and yet at the same time, I just... I am a better person with my family around, especially with, with my wife around. Uh, my wife is a blessing to me, and I, I, I just don't do well by myself. I'm thankful that God allowed me to get married at 21. Otherwise, I, I think I would have made a train wreck of my life. <laughs> but um, there's that part of me that says I'd like to be alone. I think I, I can do life better by myself. And yet when it happens, I realize, no, I, I need people in my life. And I just we look at we looked at last week the the fruits of the spirit the deeds of the flesh and there's there's part of us that probably rises up and says you know I would not deal with strife and jealousy and outbursts of anger and disputes and dissensions if if there was no one around if I was just by myself um, I probably wouldn't deal with those things if I was alone I could I could work on the fruits of the spirit maybe you have desires of going into a monastery somewhere in the mountains, and being by yourself. Where, what's your focus? You're, you're, you spend time in God's Word and in prayer, and maybe doing a little gardening or something. And, and if I was in that environment, if I was by myself alone, man, I could, I could really bear the fruits of the Spirit. I could, I could grow in godliness. But it's just all the people and the circumstances and the job and, and life. That's, that's what keeps me from bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And what's ironic, though, is here in Galatians chapter 6, Paul actually tells us that to bear the fruit of the Spirit, we need other people around us. I, I think the point of what we're going to look at this morning in verses 1 through 6 of Galatians chapter 6 is this, that the fruit of the Spirit is produced in the midst of community. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in the midst of community. And so others uh, around us are, are not a hindrance to our growth in Christ-likeness. They're not a hindrance to us bearing the fruit of the Spirit, but they are a help in those things. They're an opportunity for the fruit of the Spirit to blossom in our lives. And so we're going to see that here in Galatians uh, chapter 6. As much as we think that solitude, being cut off from others, is what we really need to be Spirit-filled, Paul says what we really need is, is each other. And he gives us three really practical ways that the fruit of the Spirit shows up in our lives as we are in the midst of community, as we are in the midst of the body of Christ. Let's read these verses together and think about these three very practical things. Galatians chapter 6, I'll be reading verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, Brethren, 
Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. So again, Paul is telling us that the fruit of the Spirit is produced in the midst of community, as we are with others. And the first way that he says the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in the midst of community is that we will restore those caught in sin. We will restore those caught in sin. It's verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Paul is speaking to the church. He says, brethren, brethren, brothers and sisters, those who are adopted by Jesus through faith, those who are new creations in Christ Jesus, he, he, is, he is talking to the church. And he says that this is a specific way that the fruit of the Spirit is applied. He says, if this is truly who we are, then when someone falls into sin, we will help them out of that sin. We will restore them. The idea here, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, it, it kind of stands in contrast to, to verse 21 of chapter 5. We saw it talked about those who practice the deeds of the flesh, those who are habitually doing these things. It's a continual thing in their life. This is something, it, it's more the imagery of, of walking in the Spirit and, and stumbling, of, of falling, of tripping in the progress. And it has this, this imagery of, of losing your footing. So someone who is a believer and is, is walking with the Lord and they suddenly trip or fall into sin. What's supposed to happen if a brother or a sister falls into sin? Paul says that if someone has fallen, they are to be restored. They're to be picked up. That word restored, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. It's, it's, the, it's used of mending fishing nets. And for those of you in the medical community, it's, it's used uh, not in, 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 in the Bible in particular, but in Greek literature for mending um, broken bones, for setting them right so that they can heal. So the thought is that if someone has fallen into, say, the, the pit of sin, then fellow believers are to help them out of that and then to place them on the right path where they continue to walk in the Spirit. This is simply... Paul says what brothers and sisters in Christ who are spirit-filled do. You notice he's specific about who does it, right? If anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual. Those who are spiritual are to do this. What does that mean? It's the, the spirit-filled people. Those who, like we saw earlier, are walking in the spirit, are keeping in step in the spirit, are bearing the fruit of the spirit. Those are the spiritual ones. They're marked by the Spirit. The Spirit is seen evident in their lives. So is it just pastors and deacons and, and super-Christians that are spiritual and they're the only ones that can restore others? No. It's those who are spiritual. And if you are a follower of Christ, then you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you are spiritual. 
And every believer is therefore to be bearing this fruit of the Spirit in this practical way. When someone falls into sin, they go to them with open arms and, and restore them. Those who are spiritual certainly have to, will have this, they'll have this desire to restore believers who have fallen into sin. There's this, something was going on in, in Galatia where there was, people were, were not, they were in competition. You see, remember in verse 15 of chapter 5, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. There was this conflict going on. It was almost as if when, when people fell down, they were, they were the vultures that encircled around and just were kind of waiting for them to die and writhe in their, in their sin. They were going to consume them. And then verse 26 of chapter 5, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. There was this, this pride that if someone else fell, well, then it meant that I was better. That makes sense if, if your system for salvation is rooted in, in me doing good things. Well, that means if someone else falls, that makes me look better. It makes my sin, my sin look less, and so therefore I'm more acceptable to God. This is a sad thing, and yet most of the, a lot of time when, times when people fall, the, our reaction is to point out the person's sins, to, to shame them maybe, rather than to restore them. Maybe we don't mock them to their face, but behind closed doors we talk about what they have fallen into, the sin that they're in, or on the phone we say, did you hear about what's going on with this person? Because, because we're a family, and families know what's going on in each other's lives. If we're living in any way in close proximity, then we know the, the sins that we're all falling into, the sins that we, that we struggle with. We know when there's division between brothers and sisters. We know... When um, we know when there are addictions, when there are vices that people are dealing with, we know that when there are sinful attitudes or sinful actions, we know when that's happening. But Paul says, in our arrogance and in our pride, we don't seek to restore people; rather, we we sort of kick them while they're down. He says, those who are spiritual, those who are indwelt by the Spirit, who are walking with the Spirit, they they won't brush sin under the rug. And they won't talk to others about it, but they will run to the person who has fallen, and they will seek to release them from the sin that they're caught in. They will seek to restore them. It says he, that we will do it, first of all, we'll do it lovingly. So we're to restore those who have fallen into a trespass, and we're to do it lovingly. You see that you are you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness, does that word ring a bell? It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit, we said, the fruits of the Spirit are expressed in, in love. So we who are spiritual will go to a person who is trapped in sin, and we won't point a finger at them in an accusing manner, but rather we will go with meekness, with, with care. We will go like a doctor or a nurse would go to reset a bone. That conversation is going to be difficult. It is going to be painful, just like resetting a bone is. It's never fun to point out sin that someone has fallen into. But it, it will allow that person to get up and to walk again, rather than to leave them hobbling for the rest of their life. So we have to have these hard conversations. Why? Because if we don't, they will just remain in their sin. It's difficult. It's hard. But it's loving. Timothy George, a commentator, says of this phrase, this gentleness, he says, contrary to some interpretations of the word gentleness, Paul was not here calling for the kind of leniency that overlooks the transgression committed, 
or precludes any kind of penitential act on the part of the transgressor. In other words, that doesn't call that person to repentance and to, to turn from the sin. But he was saying that the work of restoration should be done with sensitivity and consideration and with no hint of self-righteous superiority. It's to be done with meekness and with care. It has to be done, and it's difficult, and it's hard for both parties. But it has to be done if we love that person. He says it's to be done with no hint of self-righteous superiority. And that's where we find this, the close cousin of, of love and gentleness. It's, it's humility. Not only do we restore them lovingly, but we restore them humbly. You see what that says there? You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And then this phrase, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. The temptation that Paul mentions here could be that you'd be tempted to fall into the very same sin. You probably know the chair illustration. If I were to bring someone up here and set them on a chair and they would stand on top of that chair, and my goal was to pull them down and their goal was to pull me up, who's going to win in that battle typically? The one that's pulling down because gravity is in our favor. And sometimes if we go to help someone who is caught in sin, it's almost as if, Gravity is in the favor of us falling into that sin if we're not walking close with the Spirit. And so that's part of what maybe Paul is saying here. Look to yourself so that you won't fall into that sin as well. That's something to be aware of. And I think that's why he would say that it's those who are spiritual, those who are walking in the Spirit that should go and, and deal with the sin issue. But I think in the context, it's probably better to say that what the greatest temptation that in, when we go to seek to help a brother or sister who's entangled in sin is this, this sin of spiritual pride. That's a danger, isn't it, when going to correct someone? That in seeking to help fellow Christians, we begin to think about, wow, I'm really spiritual. Because they're caught in this sin and, and I'm not. And now I'm going to go and I'm going to help them. And we neglect to remember that apart from God's Spirit and God's grace, we would be caught in the exact same sin. And so Paul says we need to be to be humble. We need to remember that we're not spiritual because of anything that we've done. We're spiritual because the Spirit resides in us, because God has saved us, because Jesus has redeemed us, and His Spirit is dwelling within us. And the only reason that we can go and help someone is because of the work that He has done in us. This is a beautiful application of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It teaches us that if, if we're walking in the Spirit and we see someone in sin, we don't, we don't kick those who are down. We don't talk about them behind their back, but we run to them with open, loving arms. And we always do it with the cross in front of us. One of my favorite phrases is that phrase that the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That, that we all are sinners. We all come to Jesus in the same way. And so we don't go with this sense of pride. We go with the sense of saying, Except for the grace of God, that's that's me. I need to humbly walk into this, not with, with a sense of pride, but with a sense of humility and gentleness and care for this person. It's the opposite of what the world would tell us to do. The world would say, if we love someone, then we'll just kind of look over their sin. Or if we're truly humble, then we're just going to say, well, I'm not going to say anything about it. But Paul says, if you love someone and they have fallen into sin, you will go and you will pull them out. There are dangers. You might fall into self-centered pride, into, into um, this, this sense of thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. But it's worth the risk. 
And you go in the Spirit and we restore someone. So the first one is to restore those who have fallen into sin, those who are trapped in sin, those who are caught in a trespass. And a related encouragement, the second one that we see is in verse 2, and it's this, if, if the fruit of the Spirit is being manifested in our lives, it's showing up in the midst of community, it shows up when we bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. That's what Paul tells us to do in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. It's kind of an extension of verse 1, because sin can be burdensome, right? But the word burden has a broader broader meaning. It would include sin, but it, it just it also includes anything in particular that's difficult to carry on your own. I don't know if you've ever bought a large item from a store and you get the box, and on the box it says Team Lift. Have you seen this? That's, that's on a lot of boxes anymore. And I have a picture of, of not just one person carrying it, but there's, there's two people picking up this box. And what the manufacturer is trying to communicate, probably in an effort not to get sued, is um, that you need to find someone else to pick up this box with you. Don't try to carry this on your own. And that's what's true in life. There are some burdens that come along, and, and they're kind of marked team lift. This is something that you need help with. You need someone to help you carry this. Sometimes there, there's something that just shows up. An example of a burden might be um, the death of a loved one. That's a burden that's hard to bear. You need someone to help you carry that. It could be something as simple as the flu going through your household and all your children are sick. That's a burden, and it would be helpful to have someone come and help you carry that. It might be the loss of a job or unexpected financial burden or or maybe a, a natural disaster. One of the tornadoes or the ice storms rips through and you lose power um, or you uh, have a tree fall into your house. That's something, there's a burden there. Let's have someone come and help you with that. Other burdens are, are more permanent. They're more, they're more lasting. They're more part of your life. It could be that, that you have a child and the child is born um, with um, some mental or physical handicaps. You need some help with that. Uh, it could be uh, a, a disability that you have, a persistent sickness, something that you just struggle with and you need help. It could be um, an unbeliever in your family, maybe a, a wayward child or, or a spouse who is holding you back from your faith. That's a burden that you need someone to help you carry. And the way Paul phrases it, he says, bear one another's burdens. It's almost assumed that everyone has burdens. Maybe not these persistent ones that are always in our lives, but all of us face things that, that we need someone to help us carry. Some seem in life to to just get more burdens. Have you noticed that? For some reason, it, they just have a lot of burdens come on their life in a consistent way. Some people are just not able to carry as much as other people. But there's burdens. All of us have them. And those in the family of God, we are called to bear one another's burdens to help each other when the load gets too heavy to carry on our own. And Paul says if we do this, we fulfill the law of Christ, bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So here comes the law again. I thought we dealt with the law, right? Then can Paul just stop talking about the law? Of course, here he's not talking about this the law as in the Mosaic law, as this this law that we're unable to keep. He's not talking about a law that he's placing on us saying you have to do this in order to be accepted before God. It, it's, it would be extremely ironic 
given that this this word for burden is the word that Peter uses in Acts 15 when he says, talking about placing the burden of the law on people. He says, we can't do this. We can't place this burden on people because not neither our forefathers nor us have been able to bear it. So he's not talking about that law. He's talking about the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? That's what we saw in verse 15, a key verse in this passage. I'm sorry, not verse 15. Um, in verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in this minute, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's the fulfillment of the law. That's the law of Christ, is to love one another. And if, if we are redeemed, if we have been filled with the Spirit, this is a law that we are now enabled to keep or enabled to fulfill the law of Christ by loving one another. And one of the ways we love one another is to bear each other's burdens. And so, again, we bear one another's burdens, and just as when we restore someone who's caught in sin, we have to do it lovingly. When we bear one another's burdens, we do it lovingly by fulfilling the law of Christ. This is a law that we can now fulfill. We're enabled to do it by the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is one of the outworkings of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, in the midst of community. We love one another, and so we bear each other's burdens. And again, just as with the other, with restoring someone who's caught in sin, we do it lovingly and humbly. So here too, we bear one another another's burdens lovingly and humbly. We see that in verses three, four, and five. These are difficult verses. Let's read these again, and we're going to try to walk through it and see what they say. It says, "For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another." For each one will bear his own load. So we're to do this humbly. The first thing I think Paul's trying to tell us is if if we are not humble, then we will not help others. If we're not humble, then we will not help others. Pride in our lives sees people with burdens as burdensome. We look at them and we say, I don't want to carry that. Pride looks at this person that's carrying a load that's too big to bear, and all that, that, the, all that pride sees is inconvenience, and it sees cost. It says, man, that's going to cost me money to help them. It's going to cost me effort, and it's going to cost me my most precious commodity, which is time. Bearing one another's burdens takes time, and we are all busy. I would never deny that. We are all certainly busy, but I would say this. When we think about time and when we think about being busy, recognize that if we say we don't have time to do something, what we are also saying is, I don't have time to do that in particular because I am committed to this over here. Now, what we're saying is, what I'm doing right now, what, what I'm doing in that slot when I could help you is more important than helping you with this burden. Now, of course, th there's a legitimate way to say that. You can't say, I'm not going to work today because I need to go help my brother or sister bear their burdens. And we have responsibilities that we have to keep. But I think we just need to be aware sometimes that saying I don't have time can be a manifestation of pride, a way to mask that. To say, you know, I don't have time means it's just not as important to me as something else that I want to do. Because we can make time for a lot of things, can't we? We can make time for a lot of things that really are not totally necessary because we want to do them. 
And sometimes in our pride, it's not necessarily that we don't have time, but in our pride we say, you know, that's not really a burden. They should be able to carry that on their own. We look at them and they're struggling underneath the weight of it, and we say, well, I could carry that. If that happened in my life, I would be fine. But for them, it's a burden. They can't hold it up and they need help. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything, but I think what, what Paul is saying here in, in verse 3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He's saying, as he says elsewhere, don't think too highly of yourself. Because after all, you are nothing. You are nothing. That's a pretty strong phrase, isn't it? Isn't it? Anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Nothing in what way? Well, nothing in the realm of saying, you don't bring anything to God. Remember that the phrase we just said, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come to Jesus in the same way. We all come without anything. We all come empty-handed. And so we should never look at someone who's underneath a burden and say, well, I'm better than them, and so I don't need to help them. We are all sinners saved by grace, and so we should have this willing, humble attitude to always help those who are in need, those who are burdened. A lack of humility not only keeps us from helping others, but if we are not humble, then we will not seek help for ourselves from others. If we're not humble, we won't seek help from ourse- for ourselves from other people. I have a confession to make. I have lifted a team lift box by myself. I have seen the label that says you need to get someone else to help you carry this box, and I said, nah, I can carry it. And if you were to watch me, you would see why it said team lift, because I probably pulled it out of the van and stumbled to the front door, maybe dropped it on my foot or something, because I said, well, I I can do this. And if you ask me, well, why why didn't you get help? You know what I would say? Well, I don't want to inconvenience anyone with this little burden that I have. Or or I would say, well, it's, it's not that heavy. I can carry it on my own. So I would try to pawn this off as, you know, me being, self-righteous than me being this is something I'm trying to help other people out. You know what Paul would tell me? Paul would say I did it because I'm prideful. Because to call someone up and say, can you help me carry this box is to say I'm not strong enough to carry it on my own. It's to admit weakness. It's to admit that you can't do something by yourself. And who wants to do that? Who wants to call someone up and say this burden is too heavy in my life that I just can't carry it on my on my own and I need some help. It's hard, isn't it? When I worked at Starbucks, one of these star skills, there were different star skills that you needed to have, and one of them was ask for help. It was a good one. A lot of times you just try to do things on your own, and it's better to say, you know, could you help me do this? To say that is the opposite of pride. It's interesting, though, isn't it, that I could probably somehow get a refrigerator from a truck into my house by myself. I could probably pull it off, but it'd be really hard. And it would it would take forever, and I'd probably throw out my back. So I could do it, but the job gets done faster when other people help, and, and it preserves my back. And so, too, if we allow other people to bear our burdens... It goes quicker. Sometimes we bear burdens longer than we need to because we're trying to bear them on our own. And if we would just ask someone, could you help me with this? Then suddenly we don't have to bear it as long. And it's not as painful because we're not in it as long. Pride 
it's such a, a sneaky thing, isn't it? Comes in and it says, well, I don't want to help anyone else out. I, I can't do that because they can bear it on their own. Or, or we say, I don't really need help because I, I'm strong enough to carry this on my own. And, and Paul says, the way that the fruit of the Spirit shows up in our lives and shows up in the community of God's people is that we bear one another's burdens. We ask for help and we willingly give help. And so I want to pause in, in, kind of in here and say that, that this is what our church should be like. These first two characteristics especially, that we should be helping one another. That if someone is caught in sin, that we should go to them. We should confront the sin, have that painful conversation, and say, I love you. I care for you. I'm not coming in a sense of pride. I'm coming in humility because I know that this is painful and I want you to get out of the sin and walk in the way that you are supposed to walk. We see people that are that are burdened and, and we say, I see this, this burden on this person and I want to help lift it off them. We, would, we, we pray for people. And the only way that this is going to happen based on this context is through a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit comes and, and reveals this and helps us to know, but it also is going to happen when we get our hands dirty and we, we live our lives together. What good is it for me to stare at you caught in the trap of sin and to not do anything about it? To walk to the pit and say, oh man, you look pretty trapped down there. I don't know how you're going to get out. And to not do anything about it. Or to see someone underneath the weight of a burden and then never going and offering to help them carry it. The only way we're going to see these things, though, is if we are involved in one of those lives. More than just on Sunday, right? I mean, do you know everyone's burden that they've, that they've been carrying this week based on just sitting here looking this direction? No. When do we get to know those things? That's one of the purposes of Sunday evening, so that we would sit around a table together and try to have meaningful conversations. It's hard, though, isn't it? It's hard to change the conversation from what's going on in the afternoon and what's been going on in your week to something that's a little bit deeper or more meaningful, let alone confessing sin. What's the context for that to happen? These are hard things. And so I say it is a supernatural work of the Spirit, but at the same time it's something where we just have to open our mouths and say, how are you doing? Are there any burdens that you are bearing? Are you struggling with any sin? Or for, to us to open our mouths and say, you know what, I've really been struggling this week with this particular sin. I just fell into it, and I need you to help me get out of it. This burden that I'm bearing is just too heavy for me to carry on my own. Will you help me carry it? Those are hard things to say, hard things to do. And, and we can't manufacture it. But hopefully we create context in which it can happen. That's one of the reasons that we're, we're trying to start a couple more small groups. Small group isn't just another Bible study. Yes, we gather around the world, but we also gather around each other. We gather around one another and we say, well, what is going on in your life? That, that we need to know what is happening in each other's lives so that we can help one another, so that we can pull people out of sin, so that we can bear the burdens that others carry. And when we do this, we fulfill the law of Christ. When we do this, we are truly walking by the Spirit. So I don't want you here on Sunday evenings because I keep attendance. And I know who all is here. If you're not here... I'm going to mark you down and you're not going to get your Sunday school pin or something like that. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we're together and that we're bearing one another's burdens, that we know what is going on in one another's lives. That's what the church is supposed to be. You see that especially in Acts. And so I just wanted to pause there and say this is what 
are the leadership desires for the church. And this is what, if we are spiritual, we are walking by the Spirit, this is what we desire for one another. And I just want to name the elephant in the room that it is really hard. Nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to talk about their sin or the sin of another person. No one wants to talk about the burdens that they're carrying or, the, or try to help someone bear another burden that's really difficult. It's hard. But this is what we do if we're walking in the Spirit. And so I think it starts, obviously, by praying. To pray that God would do this and work this in us. But then it starts by opening our mouths, by going to someone's house, by having them over for coffee, by coming on Sunday evening, by making sure you're a part of a small group once we get them all rolling. That's where it's going to happen. So again, we're saying we need to bear one of those burdens. If we're not humble, we won't ask others for help, and we also won't help others. But if we're not humble, we also won't examine our lives rightly. If we're not humble, we won't examine our lives rightly. This is the These are the two hardest verses, I think, in the passage. Each one must examine his own work. Verse 4, I'm sorry. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. So in the midst of the church, you remember the false teaching was coming in, and they were saying you need to do these things in order to be accepted before God. And what that did is it created this competition where they were biting and devouring one another, where they were envying one another. They were becoming boastful. And so there was this, this fighting that was going on. And Paul says, you've you got to stop that. The problem is that you're comparing each other. You're comparing yourself with other people in the congregation and therefore boasting in what you've been able to do. You kind of see that where he says, each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard or maybe in comparison to one another. What's the comparison? The comparison are the two lists that Paul's given above. Are you in the flesh or are you walking by the Spirit? doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. What matters is, are you living in the Spirit? Are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you walking by the Spirit? It doesn't matter if everyone else is not. That's God's standard. Is that what you're doing? And if we do that, then we have reason to boast, not in ourselves, but in what the Spirit is doing through us. So as we examine our lives, we need to see these things. And then he says in verse 5, for each one will bear his own load. Does that seem strange? It should seem strange, because didn't he just say we're supposed to bear one another's burdens? And now he says, but you got to bear your own load. What's he saying? Well, if it's a good translation, there are two different words. Bear one another's burdens. Each one will bear his own load, because they are two different words. The simplest way that I could say the difference is a burden is heavier than a load. Um, that, that's kind of what Paul is, is getting at, that, that there are some things that you need people to help you with, but there are other things that you have to carry on your own. Specifically, though, this, listen to this. John Stott wrote on this verse, he says, There is one burden that we cannot share. Indeed, do not need to, because it is, light, it, it is a pack light enough for every man to carry himself, and that is our responsibility to, responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack, and I cannot carry yours. There's a pack that we have to carry, our responsibility before God, that we can't point to someone else and say they didn't help me, that's why I couldn't carry it. It's a pack that we are able to carry, and when we stand before God on judgment day, there's not going to be anyone standing next to us that we can compare ourselves to. It's not 
It doesn't matter how good we have been in comparison to others. All that's going to matter is whether or not we have placed our faith in Christ alone for salvation. And in that, if we have used the gifts that he has given us and the opportunities that he has given us. There is not going to be anyone to point the finger at and say they didn't help me with this loan because it's what we have to bear on our own. Each one will bear his his own load. So how are we doing in this area of bearing one another's burdens? We're to bear them lovingly and, and humbly. Do you see people under the weight of a burden but choose not to help them? You know, sometimes I see people under the weight of a burden. I'm just not quick enough. I'm too slow. I think, you know, it would be really good to do this for that person. I think that would really help to lighten their load. And then three weeks later, it's too late. I could have helped, but I didn't do it quick enough. We need to take advantage of those opportunities. Are we so busy? Are we so disconnected from others that you don't even have an opportunity to see the burdens that people are under, let alone be able to help them? Are we humble? Are you humble enough to ask for help when you need it? Is there a burden right now in your life that you need to, you've been trying to carry it? And it's it's a team lift sort of burden. You know, it might not even just be two people. It might be like four or five. And you just need some help. You need your brothers and sisters to gather around you and help you to carry that burden. Are we going to be humble enough to ask? Are we going to tell others that we need help? I have this strange idea. I didn't get a chance to do it this week, but are you all familiar with the Footprints poem? You know, and, and uh, there's, there's some great truth to that, that, that as we're walking, we see these two paths where we're walking with God, and then there's in the difficult times where God carries us. I'd like to kind of write maybe like a like a third part to that, where he says, well, what, what are the, the spots where there's just a whole bunch of footprints around me? Those are the points where... You couldn't carry it on your own, and others came along as a representation of me and carried it with you, that, that they carried you through this. There are times when that has to happen, when we need one, two, or the entire church gathering around us to help us carry a burden. So this fruit of the Spirit is worked out in community as we restore those who have fallen into trespasses, as we bear one another, another's burdens, and then briefly as we share with those who teach us as we share with those who teach us. Verse 6, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches. And this is it's fairly simple. Paul says that if the church has teachers that do a good job, then the people in the church should share with them so that they can devote their time more fully to the study and the teaching of God's word to the people that are there. The one who is taught the word is to share in all good things with the one who teaches him, with the teacher. In our society, that looks like financially supporting pastors. In other societies, it might look like, you know, that they share the milk from their goats or the grain from their fields to help support this pastor so that he has time to spend in prayer and in in God's Word so that he can teach well. Of course, there's a danger in that. The danger for the, the one who teaches is that he might become greedy, might take more than he needs, or a teacher becomes lazy. He's supposed to be receiving funds so that he can teach well, but instead he doesn't invest the time and energy that he needs to in teaching well. 
And so we get the stereotype of a pastor who works one day a week, which is sadly probably true in some contexts, where it's, it's, it's abused, the position. But if, if pastors are guarding against this, then it's good to support those who have been gifted as teachers financially to share with them. This is kind of awkward being the pastor to, to talk about this, but I would say as, a, as an encouragement to Grace Fellowship Church, we are bearing the fruit of the Spirit in this, that, that you share. You share in such a way to support not only myself and my family, to which I say thank you, praise God for that, but, but we also are able to support Paul as a teacher, as one who teaches in this church. And while Joel is not a line item in our budget, I pray that you would share with Joel as a teacher, as one who teaches well, to think, how can I share with Joel what I have to alleviate him, to help him to invest time in teaching? Because he teaches well. Those who, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. How can we support those who teach us? There's this, this mutual thing going on here. The fruit of the Spirit. It shows up as we as we help one another when we fall into sin. It, it shows up as we bear one another's burdens. It, it shows up as those who are taught, who, who teach us are, are helped. We're, we're giving, we're humble, we're kind, we're loving to those that are that are our teachers. And so this is this is the fruit of the spirit worked out in the midst of community. It shows up as we do these three things. And then I would just say, as, as a final note, especially in light of us taking communion together, just a, a note on, on membership. Um, why do we do membership here at Grace Fellowship Church? We don't do it because we want to exclude people from our special club. Uh, we don't do it because you know, we want to have uh, large numbers of members. We do it because we want to do this stuff. Because we want to bear one another's burdens. Because we want to confront sin when we need to. Because we want to serve those who teach as well. And we do it within a community of people that have come together and we've said, we are. this is where this stuff is happening. And so we want to commit together that we're going to do these things. And so we come together, we have things like our church covenant, which we're going to read at the end of communion, that, that tells us this is what we're committing to do as members of Grace Fellowship Church. This is, this is who we are. And this is what we are committed to do as members, one of another, and we promise to do it. And so if you're a member of this church, then you have opened yourself up to me coming and saying, I think you're caught in a trespass. I want to help restore you. Or you and I've opened myself up to someone coming to me and saying, Andy, I'm seeing some sin patterns in your life that you need to deal with. It's one of the things that membership does. Not only that, there's a burden sharing that happens in membership. Sure, we, we share people's burdens who are not a part of our congregation or a part of our membership, but there is something special that happens within the membership. And the same is true for those who are teaching that we share. And so if Grace Fellowship Church is the place where these things are happening, then I think you should be a member. I think that's simply what membership is. If, if you are being served in the way that you're being called, your sin is being confronted, your burdens are being born by other people and you're being taught the word then you should be a member of that church and if it's not grace fellowship church then you should be a member of the church where these things are able to happen in your life i say that because as we get ready to take the lord's supper membership is one of the things that we say needs to to be a part of your life in order to join together with the lord's supper what has brought us all together 
What, what has caused us to want to do these things? Well, it's because of what the gospel has done. That the gospel has come into our lives and the gospel has revealed the sin in our hearts. That, that we've seen in light of who Jesus is, we've seen that we were caught in sin. That we were not only just caught, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus comes and he reveals that and so we turn in repentance and faith. And then we take the burden of our sin, which we can't carry on our own. We can't carry it at all. And what do we do? Jesus takes it upon himself. He takes the penalty for our sin. He takes the punishment for our sin and he places it on himself. And he dies in our place. He becomes the substitute for us. He shares his life with us to make it possible for us to have salvation. And so as we come to the table, we remember what Jesus has done. We remember his life and his death and his resurrection. And we see that this is where our life is. And then I think specifically in light of Galatians 6, we see that this is what unites us. This is the tie that binds us together as Grace Fellowship Church and would cause us to walk in this way.